of the Sacred Feminine, broadcasting across the globe for eight years now. I'm your host, Karen Tate, and it is my pleasure to be bringing you this Alternative to Patriarchy, a show that talks about the new normal we might achieve for society and culture. Thank you all for listening, for sending your show ideas, your comments, and I really appreciate your monetary support to help keep Voices of the Sacred Feminine on the air. Tonight, our musical opening was Nariana by Diva Haley from her Sacred Alchemy CD. Check it out. It's really great. Well, I've had a lot of fun the last few weeks of the Feminist Fairy Tales and Goddess Mythology Trilogy. The idea came to me as I sat in the movie theater watching Maleficent. Then thoughts turned to other such movies like Brave, Frozen, Avatar, Dangerous Beauty, You know, I think something is changing out there in society when even Disney movies are showing girls that they can have new roles. I thought about how we need new stories to counter the patriarchal ones that just spawn male domination, authority, and leadership. I wondered why we aren't using more goddess mythology to teach us which values we must institute out in the world. In the last few weeks, you've heard a different story of Pandora. You know, she really didn't open up her box and unleash the evils on the world. That's just the patriarchal version. We've talked about the pre-patriarchal myths of Demeter and Persephone. Because you know what? Hades, assault, rape, those weren't in the original stories. If Merlin Stone's version of the Garden of Eden, which can be found in her book When God Was a Woman, was what kids were taught in school, and adults too, along with Charlene Spretnak's pre-patriarchal Greek myths or Barbara Walker's research into what stories really were the norm before patriarchy turned everything on its head, how different the world would be. And that's very important. This isn't just Stories we tell children, because our stories shape our culture. We have to remember our stories, our mythology, they shape what society turns into. If you have a male God, we have male leadership and domination. 
With stories like we've been talking about, we would have spirituality encouraging women's spiritual authority, their leadership, their sovereignty, not women being subservient to men, diminished, defiled, disrespected, paid less than men for the same job, victims of domestic violence, subjected to vaginal probes or personhood amendments. And, you know, I must segue here for a moment. If you're in the United States, please, please, please go out and vote next month, the first Tuesday of November, especially if you're in a red state dominated by Republicans. Go out and vote those oppressors of women out of office. I'm just saying it very candidly. I am not going to sugarcoat it. You know I don't do that here because we cannot afford to lose the Senate, and we just might. We've seen what Republican-led state government has done across the country with stifling voter rights, with women's issues, with destroying the social safety net. Hell, if they hadn't cut the CDC to the bone, would we be having the Ebola problem? We should lay that at their doorstep where it rightly goes. You know, according to them, there's never a war that we lack money to fight. There's never a lack of money for tax loopholes for the rich and powerful. But everything else can go to hell. Education, infrastructure, research and development, funding for the Center for Disease Control. I could go on and on. I'm sure you know. We have to get these cavemen and their handmaiden women out of office. We must turn the corner on a new future that's better for the most of us. We are all interconnected. This is about the we and the us not the select few these Republicans always look out for. So please, go out and vote the Republicans out of office in November. I hear a lot of you don't even know there's an election. So please, find out where to vote, what ID you need to bring, and bring friends. I can't stress it enough. Our very future depends on it. It really does. Okay, so we're going to segue back to part three of our trilogy about feminist fairy tales and goddess mythology, but be sure to connect the dots here. That wasn't just some random political rant. We would not be having these fights with Republicans, with fundamentalists, with extremists, and some conservatives if goddess mythology hadn't been swept under the rug by patriarchy or rule of the Bible's father God and his human male counterparts. On purpose, yes, on purpose, she was swept beneath the rug. But, of course, it's not all men, and I stress that. It is certainly not all men, only the ones who don't want to evolve. Men like the one I have on the show tonight are our beloved allies. Tonight it is my great pleasure to have with me the lifelong partner of the beloved foremother who has left this earthly plane, Merlin Stone. She's the author of Ancient Mirrors of Womanhood and more well-known when God was a woman. His name is Lenny Schneer, and we're going to discuss his life with Merlin. We'll get some private insights that only he can give, all in the spirit of punctuating how important it is that we give another look to the kind of stories and myths we've been talking about during these uh, three shows of this trilogy. We'll delve in again tonight and ask ourselves, what do these myths teach us? Let's get around to giving ourselves permission to make our own interpretations and provide the male and female gender with new stories instead of just the patriarchal ones that have left the world in the shape it's in. 
If you missed the last couple weeks, go back in the archives and enjoy my conversation with foremother Barbara Walker and the week before that with Charlene Spretnak as we discuss the pre-patriarchal myths of Greece from her older book, Lost Goddesses of Ancient Greece. You'll learn the real story of goddess before before Eve and Pandora told us all, uh, before we were told Eve and Pandora ruined the world, or that Hera was that uh, strident, petulant, nagging wife. So once again, I invite you to sit back with a cup of tea or a glass of wine as I chat with Lenny about Merlin Stone, who I credit, along with Rianne Eisler, for putting me on this path that's really changed my life. And I say that in all sincerity. The thought of not finding Merlin Stone's work, it scares me to death. If I'd stayed asleep in that bubble of the Bible Belt my whole life, wow, it feels like to me what a wasted life that might have been. So, before I say hello to Lenny and uh, get him on the sh- on the line here talking about his life with uh, Merlin, I want to give you some background on her in case you're new to the show or you haven't heard uh, of Merlin Stone before because you most definitely want to know about this woman. You want to go out and get her books, um, The uh, Ancient Mirrors of Womanhood. If you If it's not still in print, get a used copy. You definitely want When God Was a Woman, and you're going to want this new book, that uh, Lenny has uh, has co-written uh, called Merlin Stone Remembered. Let me tell you what's uh, being said about the new book, and then we'll get into the bio. When Merlin Stone's first book, The Paradise Papers, was released in England in 1976, it became an instant sensation. When it was re-released in America under the title When God Was a Woman, it exploded onto college campuses and elsewhere for its groundbreaking research regarding the role of women in ancient religions. Merlin always felt guided by a force outside her control to correct historical information about female deities as she was convinced that the role of women, particularly goddesses, had been all but erased from history. We hope that Merlin Stone remembered this new book will once again bring this important information to the public's attention at a time when it's especially needed by those of us who are concerned about world peace, preserving the earth, and understanding world's cultures. Merlin said that early gods were actually goddesses, and she traveled the world alone, living out of a backpack, in order to do the research necessary to prove that her instincts were correct. Lenny Schneer never dreamed he would one day meet a woman named Merlin Stone and that she would change his life forever. Merlin had just written When God Was a Woman when they met on Miami Beach while they were both visiting their mothers. At the time, Lenny was a professional poker player. Merlin was an accomplished artist, sculptor, professor, writer, and feminist. They were an odd couple, but something definitely clicked. They spent 34 years together, and Lenny's life as a self-professed male chauvinist was changed forever as he eventually became a believer, like Merlin in The Goddess. This, this book coming out that Lenny is going to be talking to us about, Merlin Stone Remembered, is their touching true story, part love story, part memoir, and part transformation of a diamond-in-the-rough gambler. Well, you know what, Lenny? Rather than me read her bio, why don't I just say hello to you? Welcome to the show. 
Thank you so much, Karen. It's my pleasure to be here and to speak about Merlin, speak about when God was a woman and ancient mirrors of womanhood, and about the new book that uh, I wrote along with David Axelrod and Carol Thomas. And I would like to preface just everything that I'm going to say about our life together by saying meeting Merlin was the best moment of my life. Everything I am and everything I became, and most importantly, everything I am doing now, is because I met Merlin. So, Lenny, tell me, you know, like it says in in that synopsis of the book, and and listeners, I'll get to her bio later. It's not as important as this uh, because we we know her major accomplishments. Um, Lenny, how does somebody who of your background, I mean, I would imagine you would be the last person in the world who would have wanted to marry a feminist. What was it about Merlin that so just took you over and and changed you? I think that's a very interesting question, and I think that I was just open-minded. You know, I didn't have any fixed uh, visions of uh, a god much less a goddess. You know, I was very open-minded to what she was, you know, suggesting or informing me about as uh, as I went along. But I do want to say that it was a long, long process for me. It wasn't that uh, it, it happened right away. In fact, it was what I call like a long education. You know, I, 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 I absorbed what she was doing, and I recognized it as uh, meaningful, important, and a new way of life, a new way of looking at the world. And well, you know, that, I, I read that transformed your, me. Well, you know, um, Lenny, I read your bio. You were born in Brooklyn. You lived with your sister Renee and your mother Betty. Your, right, your dad, exactly. dad seemed like he he wasn't in the picture a lot. No, he was distant. He, do you do you think maybe part of your openness to this was because you were raised primarily with women? I think that that's possible. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I think that uh, not having a father figure in my life uh, did have some significance uh, when I met Merlin. Uh, so where did you, where did you and she meet? We met in Miami Beach. Our mothers both lived in the same building, and I went to visit my mother in late September of 1976, and I decided one morning to go down to watch a sunrise, and it was still very early and dark, and I, I found a bench, and I saw a woman uh, just making herself comfortable on the beach. She got into a lotus position. She started to meditate. She was facing the ocean. She was waiting for the sun to rise. And I was watching her. She meditated for about 15 minutes. And when she got up, I went over and I introduced myself. I just said, Lenny from New York. And she said, Merlin, born in Brooklyn. <laughs> and that was funny and we started to uh talk. I asked her just comically, where have you been for the last 15 minutes? And she said, you wouldn't believe it if I told you, which is very interesting because she was actually communicating with her goddess 
But she wouldn't say that to a stranger. So she sure. said something similar to, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. And I asked her if she wanted to uh, talk and sit on this bench that was very close to where we were, and she agreed. And she informed me that she had been in uh, Florida because uh, her father had uh, Alzheimer's disease, and she was helping her mother take care of her father. And she told me that she really adored her father and loved loved her father because he encouraged her when she was very young to be an artist and a sculptor. And we just chit-chatted for maybe, I don't know, an hour or so, and I asked her if she wanted to go to dinner and uh, to a movie that night. And she fi- funnily said, a date, a real date? And I said, yes. And she said, sure. And she told me where she was living. She wasn't living with her mother. She was living across the street in a uh, hotel named The Glades. And she was operating the switchboard operator. She was a switchboard operator. Okay. She was operating the switchboard at the uh, Glades Hotel. And when I went back to uh, to see my mother, uh, my uncle was there, and he, I told them that I had met a woman, that I wasn't going to uh, have dinner that night, and my uncle piped in saying that uh, he was going to Key Largo the next day, and I should ask my new friend, if she wanted to go to Key Largo. So when I went to see Merlin that uh, that evening, I asked her if she wanted to go to Key Largo tomorrow, and she said, let's see how our date goes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, really how it started. Okay. Uh, we did have a beautiful night uh, together that night, and uh, I stayed with her till around 3 or 4 in the morning. So you had a lot to talk when- about. We had a lot to talk about. Uh, we had a lot in common, and we enjoyed ourselves that evening tremendously. And I left around 3 or 4 in the morning knowing that I was going to see her again in a few hours to go to Key Largo. And I have pictures of that uh, the next day. I have pictures of that in the new book. And I was leaving to go home in about two days after I met her. And the next day, I remember we went to a museum. I think it was the Bass Museum. And we got along well again. And when I was leaving, she said she was also leaving. She was going to Boston to be with her sister. And then she was going to move to San Francisco to live close to her daughters. She had two grown daughters. Uh, So here she was moving across the country. Yeah, she was going to go back to Boston, pick up some things that her sister had been storing for her, and then move to San Francisco. And I asked her, this is interesting how it reveals what the kind of person Merlin was. I asked her, come to New York and uh, stop in New York and see me. And she said something like, you know, I'm curious to see how you live, so I'm going to come. And like two or three days later, after uh, I came back to New York, she was knocking on my door. Wow. Yeah. You must have made and, an impression, uh, Lenny. Well, I hope so. I mean, it, but it wasn't too. It wasn't that strong because she came to New York. She only stayed two days, and then she went on to uh, Boston. 
We had a lot and of how, conversations. How old, was, how old was she by that point? She was 44 and I was 35. Okay. But she she looked at least 10 years younger than me. And she you saw the value so of an youthful. older woman. <laughs> <laughs> Quite amazing that uh, she was 44 when I met her, but she really looked 25. Z. Budapest also met her thought when she was in her 40s. Thought she was a teenager. <laughs> it's kind of amazing, but it's true. And well, so she did. came to New York, but she only stayed a couple of days. She went to Boston, and we had a lot of conversations. I was more or less begging her to come back to New York, try to stay with me, see if she would like it, and. When she came to the, to New York to stay for those two days, I had been hosting a poker game. I only had a two-room apartment. In the front room, I had been hosting a poker game. Otherwise, the room was empty. And we were talking on the phone, and she was telling me that she was a writer and she needed uh, space to write. And when she agreed to come back, I got rid of the poker table, and the room was empty. And this was perfect for her. She wanted an empty room so that uh, she could set it up to become a writer's room. Well, that was and, something if you gave up your poker room for her. Well, I didn't actually give it up. I, I, had, I, I moved the poker table to my cousin's apartment who lived next door, just one apartment uh, away. So the uh -huh. game continued. <laughs> the game did continue, but not in, the, in, not in our apartment, but uh, next door. I lived at 184 6th Avenue, and my cousin lived at 186th. 6th Avenue, and our, our uh, building was just a three-family building. It was a very small uh, townhouse type of uh, building, and it was built in about the 1865s. It really was a very beautiful architecture, quite old, of course, but uh, we only had two rooms, two large rooms, so that's really how the relationship started, and we furnished the room together, which I uh, mentioned in the book. And maybe I could just mention that the name of the book is Merlin Stone Remembered. And we have a website, www.merlinstone.org. Now, is it out yet, out. Lenny? Or is it about to the, be out? The, the book is now in the process of being printed. It was sold to Llewellyn Worldwide. Right. And it's going to be out around Thanksgiving or the 1st of uh, December. Yeah, that's about the same as my anthology. So probably yeah, good, uh, you can go on time. Amazon and pre-order, I would imagine. Yes, you can order it uh, from Amazon. You can also order it at uh, www.merlinstone.org. Find okay. out more about the book. Find out a little bit more about Merlin. And we also are selling T-shirts, so if anybody's interested in a Merlin Stone Remembered T-shirt, it's an exact copy of the cover of the book, which is shown at the website. Oh, I'm going to have to go look for one of those. You know, she's one of my mentors. I have to have one of those. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll we'll be happy to send you one, and I'll even send you one free. Just to press contact and to inform Linda, who receives the orders, the oh. T-shirts are $15 delivered. Thank uh, you. Thank postage, you, Lenny. I appreciate that. I want you to have one because I know that how much you do for goddess spirituality and uh, women's rights and so forth. Oh, thank and you. Of course, that work is so important, and it's ongoing. 
Well, yeah, I mean, because it feels like, you know, we just, you know, we make one, uh, you know, take one step forward and two steps back. Exactly, Um, exactly. In one area, we advance tremendously, and in other areas, it seems like we're not advancing at all. Or going, that, or that, going in the wrong direction, or even going in the wrong direction. But uh, right. I do hold the hope. I do hold the hope that, especially in the last forty or fifty years, uh, the goddess religion and women's spirituality has really blossomed and grown. I like to say that it's the fastest growing religion in the world, mostly because the other religions are shrinking. Well, you know, there's some statistics to actually back that up, Lenny. When you consider, Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, there is. When you consider all the many hybrids of religions that include a goddess. um, Yes, it has so many names. Sorry to interrupt you, but it has so many names: women's spiritual witchcraft and Wicca, and women's spirituality and goddess religion, and all these. Yeah, and all different pagan groups go under different headings. Exactly, but uh, they're all under one umbrella, uh, which is like the goddess religion, but it's just different names and different uh, descriptions. But I I agree, It, it definitely is something that Merlin said offers the hope. You know, the reclamation of the goddess offers hope for a future humane society. You know, a well, yeah, you know, it used to be Christianity was the liberation theology. You know, in the mm-hmm. in, in the earliest days of Christianity, back in the beginning, when you know it was the hope of slaves and the hope of women before mm-hmm. you know, because women used to be in leadership in Christianity until you know they changed things and right. you know demonized Mary Magdalene and. And, uh, you know, and uh, that whole that whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. But now, you know, the sacred feminine. Now, uh, goddess spirituality is the new liberation theology. You know, to set us Absolutely. free from oppression and exploitation. Mm-hmm. Well, but getting back to your life with Merlin a bit. So, how long did it take her to decide that uh, that you were the guy? I have an interesting story about that. I mean, I was in love with Merlin almost uh, immediately. So I once told her, Merlin, you know, I'm in the Guinness Book of World Records for falling in love instantly. And I said to her, how long did it take you to fall in love? And she said, it took me a little longer to unpack my toothbrush. <laughs> <laughs> Which so it is was funny pretty because quick for her, too. <laughs> well, maybe, but it, it was interesting because when she showed up to uh, live with me, she, she showed up with a backpack. A, mount, a mountain backpack. It, it, it's amazing that she was 44 years uh, old and she really didn't have possessions. Possessions meant very, very little to Merlin. In fact, uh, she was a minimalist, a, a real serious minimalist. And I have a line in my book which is very, very true. And I said, the less I spent, the more she loved me. which is very very true you know she just was not impressed with uh, material objects in fact I bought her a fan like a feminist fan you know when because I didn't know you know I didn't know this woman very well when she first showed up so I wanted to buy her something I thought she would like and it turned out it wasn't really something that she really wanted but you know, it, it, she just didn't go for, you know, 
jewelry or furs or, you know, fancy yeah. clothes or anything like that. She was really, like I say, a super minimalist. She made her yeah, own I, clothes. She made I a lot of her own that. clothes. I can understand that. You know, I, I, I can relate to that in a major way. You know, to me... It's a very much uh, more comfortable, easy way to live with much less pressure once you get, uh, you know, into that understanding that, uh, yeah. you know, beauty and life comes from other things besides what things, you usually... Yeah, things. Yeah. You know, it, it, I, I always felt like uh, it was really experiences and knowledge were the mm-hmm. really were the things that really made the difference and not the baubles that, you know... Absolutely, uh, absolutely. You know, and, and, and that, uh, you know, in a way, you know, this, this uber-consumerism, you know, of patriarchy, having us, you know, spend ourselves into debt, and, but mm-hmm. never wanting us to develop ourselves, you know, wanting to keep us ignorant and sheeple uh, rather than, uh, you know, becoming the best that we can be kind of a thing, you know. It, uh, I don't know, it just it feels like that minimalist attitude is it almost... It's a good um, thing, very, very good. I think it's yeah, very, she yeah, even because, said something similar. Sorry, she even said something similar to, "I'm a true believer, and a true believer uh, needs nothing and has everything." Yes. Did she ever kind tell you true. who her favorite goddess was, Lenny? Uh, you know, I don't think she ever said that. She said things like, "I don't have any. I don't have a name or image." For mm-hmm. my goddess, she said things like it's a female energy in the universe. Mm-hmm. It's an inner understanding. It's a voice yeah. that I hear. Merlin heard voices. She says it's a voice that I hear. It's always a f- a female voice. You know, she 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 didn't have. I don't think she had a favorite uh, or one particular. To her, it's it a, was. It was all the one. Yeah. It was all the one, yeah. It was that she couldn't explain it, but she knew what it was. So did she explain to you, I mean, was it that voice that guided her to travel the world, living out of her backpack? Absolutely. Oh, she told me many, many times. Well, it took a while, but she told me that she was, you know, she was a messenger. She was She was told where to go. She was guided that she wouldn't have able, she wouldn't have been able to do what she did. Without this guidance, this goddess, uh, you know, overseer, she even said things like, not only did they tell me where to go, but sometimes she told me what pages to find, what page Mm. numbers, things like that, you know. Yes, it's It's an incredible story because, yeah, she was in countries like Greece and Turkey and... uh, uh, Syria and Lebanon, I'm not sure of exactly which ones, but they didn't, you know, they weren't in English. I I don't know how she did it, you know. Yeah. She had very little money. And all alone, a woman all alone back then. All alone in a hostile hostile environment, uh, you know, not speaking the language, having very little money, and she explained that she was guided, that she was being told by, you know, a voice which she called the messenger, and that it was the voice was telling her where to go, and so forth. I, could I just read one of her, Merlin, in her own words? Because sure. it reminded sure, me of something that you, that you said a little bit earlier. Sure, please and this do. Is, this is Merlin speaking in her own uh, in in her own words as one of the chapter in Merlin Stone remembered. 
She said, hearing her, seeing her, praying to her, worshipping her, talking to her, should be considered normal. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. You yeah. know, it really says, you know, and she said it in 1978. Do you think she realized the impact that her work made on women in the world? She 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 wrote the book not with the intention of, of that happening. She really wrote the book from a feminist angle that she wanted women to have a stronger identity of themselves. And I guess what you're saying did happen over the course of time because it did have a major impact that you know you know women were now having some sort of choice, a new information that they weren't that wasn't easily accessible before. And even if it was, it was usually buried in books that only sold hundreds or maybe thousands if they were lucky. So it really didn't circulate. And when God Was a Woman came out, it uh, started to be used as a textbook in women's studies programs. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, initiated uh, a lot of women to what Merlin was saying. And then it did seem to mushroom and... I guess she must have become aware at some point of uh, how much impact, uh, you know, her uh, writings had been doing. But she was Did not an she she not didn't have an ego. I mean, it was very hard to to explain Merlin, but she was very easy to get along with. She she was not somebody who thought of herself any more important than the neighbors that she hung around with. Right, you know, right. You know, it sounds like she, she saw herself as she saw herself as maybe a servant, as you know, maybe a servant of goddess. Is really, yeah. A she priestess. was a messenger. She called herself a messenger. A messenger, uh, yeah. A messenger, yeah, and uh, absolutely. Did and she, she ever was say? Absolutely thrilled what other women did follow in her footsteps. She didn't feel, you know, like jealousy or envy or, you know, some sort of a competition with any yeah. of these people. She was encouraging them. She wanted them to expand on what she had found and what she was doing. So wow. she embraced she embraced them. Yeah. And I guess because of that, you know, uh, she got a lot of praise. Like women were yeah, because, you know, Lenny, we, that's something we battle. You know, I mean, we say now um, that, you know, goddess spirituality is about women empowering each other. But, you know, women are still conditioned and infected by patriarchy, if I can say. Mm -hmm. You know, they're infected yes. to compete. They're, you know, many are jealous rather than right. take on that role They've of empowerment. Women have been brainwashed into uh, the creation myth and, uh, you know, the hierarchy of religions uh, being all male and all of this. So they are slowly becoming their own, you know, their own person, which is exactly what any human being wants to do. You know, uh, Do you have any idea influenced. how many book, how many copies of When God Was a Woman she sold when, over the years? Yes, When God Was a Woman has sold over a million copies. 
Wow. It's still con- it's been in, it's been in continuous print since 1976, so that's uh, 38 years. Yeah. And uh, it, it 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 sold very it, it sold a lot initially because of it being used as a textbook in many many uh, women's studies programs. In fact, Carol Thomas, who's a, a co-author of Merlin Stone, remembered who I met down here, and I was shocked to find out that she was a women's studies professor at the University of Connecticut in 1980, and she was using Merlin's book as a textbook. Yeah. And that was how that was our initial meeting and how we first got to know each other, and she was actually the first one who said, maybe we should write a book about Merlin. Right. And, uh, well, I know you I wrote said, a poem uh, about uh, meeting Merlin. Did, did would you like to read that? Yes, I would like to read that. Let me let me just find it for a minute. Yeah, I also got some very high praise from uh, Llewellyn about this poem and about the book. It's very interesting that the people, the editors at uh, Llewellyn, there's two of them. They both knew Merlin's books. I guess that's why they accepted it as a manuscript. So the woman uh, wrote that she enjoyed reading uh, Merlin Stone Remembered and that she especially liked my poems, which was very nice. So my first poem was Meeting Merlin. I thought I was a free spirit. Then I met Merlin. I thought I was a nonconformist. Then I met Merlin. I thought I was creative. Then I met Merlin. I thought I was a rebel. Then I met Merlin. I thought I was smart. You get the idea. (laughs) (laughs) And I do have another poem, if I could read that. Yeah, yeah, please do. Leave Leave me alone. I have five poems in the book. I'm very excited about that. I really don't consider myself a poet. I like to hang out with poets. I like to say that. And David Axelrod, who's a co-author of Merlin Stone Remembered, has written 21 books about poetry. So he's actually was a poet, poet. Yeah, I'm in good company. Carol and Dave are both uh, wonderful poets, authors, and both were creative writing teachers for a very long time. And uh, this poem is called Leave Me Alone. Leave Me Alone with Merlin. Leave me alone with my poetry. I will bury myself with knowledge and wisdom. Your words transformed me. It is you and me as always. But you are not here. You are inside. And I carry you like you carried me. You were the doctor. I was your patient. You cured me. You were the teacher. I was your student. You educated me. You were the artist. I was your canvas. With strokes of your brush, I was born. You were the detective. I had no clue. You were the lighthouse. I was lost at sea. You were the lending library. I read your books. You were the calendar. It was my time. You were the universe. I shared your space. You were the goddess. 
who moved me. I am happiest alone with you. Dearest Merlin, I will always love you. Oh, Lenny, that's beautiful. So Thank you so much. And those are two of them. And I also have a poem that Merlin wrote. If we have time, I'd like to read that. Yeah, we uh, do. For when I pass on. I think you have a copy of it. So if you want to read it, uh, um, I'd be yeah, happy if you she, read it. Um, well, well, before we, we read for when I pass on, let me read a little bit of her bio so people will have an idea of her accomplishments. You know, when, okay. when I was... When I was interviewing Barbara uh, Barbara Walker, uh, yeah, and, just to and interrupt reading... you for a minute, yeah, Barbara sure. Walker, uh, Z Budapest, Starhawk, and Olympia Dukakis are endorsers on the back cover of Merlin Stone Remembered. So, and Barbara Walker is a fantastic author who has written over a dozen books. I know about the goddess. She was at Merlin Stone's memorial. Yes, yes, I don't and. Know um, She's she's incredible, and, and uh, I, I've been fortunate enough to have her uh, endorse my books, and she's in in my new oh, anthology, and, yeah. and and she's been on the show a few times, and uh, mm-hmm. you know when right. you read her um, bio- biography, you realize you know she's a woman who has fit maybe three or four lifetimes of work into one life. Which is mm. like like Merlin. I mean, when you read Merlin's bio, you know you realize how much she accomplished. Um, yes. You know, she she was born in 1931. Uh, exactly. She was married in 1950. In 52 and 55, she had two daughters, Jenny and mm-hmm. Cynthia. Right. From 58 exactly. to 62, she got a bachelor's of science with a teaching certificate from State University of New York in Buffalo. Uh, she was an art professor at the State University College of New York in Buffalo, and that's when her interest in ancient religions began to flourish. And yeah, and influenced. she was also a very accomplished uh, sculptor. A sculptor at that time, uh, she got commissioned from, commissions from very large corporations uh, for her sculptures while she yeah, was in Buffalo. Yeah, they say here uh, like Union Carbide, Bethlehem, Bethlehem, yeah, Bethlehem Steel, Steel, the city right, of Buffalo. The city of Buffalo, yes. Uh, yes, yeah, so she was doing many... some significant work. It wasn't just, you know, she was making some little pieces and putting them in her no, living room. No, they were huge <laughs> uh, bronze sculptures, and also at a time when it was very difficult for women to be other than, you know, uh, homemakers and uh, perhaps Yeah, a teacher, or a teacher or a know. nurse. <laughs> nurse, yes, exactly. And, uh, um, you know, she, for, she taught at the University of uh, California in Berkeley. Uh, she it looks taught like she art got a and master. technology, yeah, which is very interesting. She, she, she embraced uh, art and technology, uh, you know, engineers and uh, modern technology, sort of today like with the computer and art, you know, except it was like 30 or 40 years ago. Right. She was the right. uh, uh, head of a, a group called the Experiments in Art and Technology, and she created incredible sculptures when she moved to California because they were much, much different. I have some pictures in the book of uh, the kind of uh, sculptures she did in California, which were much different than these huge bronze uh, sculptures that she had been doing in Buffalo, they were more like uh, fluorescent lights, uh, benches, and uh, sculptures so like where the lights went. The lights went on and off, and it looked like things were moving, but they really weren't. 
and the movement of the sculptures, which is kind of amazing, was controlled by the person who was looking at the sculpture. The person was actually hooked up to the sculpture, and their brain waves were creating the moving patterns. Wow. Kind of hard to believe. She actually taught a course on it at wow. the uh, University of uh, California, Berkeley, I believe. It so it, she it was an like absolute an, genius in, uh, in in many, many ways. It sounds like it. It sounds like yes. she lived many lifetimes in one and lifetime. And she was so down to earth. She was such an absolutely uh, regular type person. It's very hard to describe. Yeah. You know, for somebody to have accomplished so much and been so important to so many other people. Yeah. And yet she was just, you know, Merlin. <laughs> well, <laughs> very um, interesting. It, it said she researched women's roles in ancient religion from 70 to 72. She moved mm-hmm. to London uh, to do res- research at the British Museum and the Ashmolean Museum in, uh, in Oxford in uh, Right, in she spent 72. a lot of time at those museums. And, and then uh, she also went back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead, sorry. Uh, 72 to 73, she traveled to Lebanon, Iraq, Greece, Crete, Turkey, Cyprus, and did mm-hmm, research exactly. in those libraries and museums. I know, which is so incredible because, like I say, those, that stuff isn't written in English. That's yeah. written in their own language. And so how did she you manage know? that? Did did she that, have that's someone that's... That's a total mystery. Uh, maybe she found translators. Okay. Uh, you know, I really... Uh, and then it sounds like uh, a, a year later she was married to someone by the name of Stone, but uh, the gentleman must have passed on because she was widowed after no, only 13 that's, months. No, that's a different, yeah, that's, no, his name wasn't Stone. Her first husband she married in Buffalo, I think 1950 you said. She was only 19 years old. Okay. Uh, his name was Stone, and she always kept his name. Oh, she I met see. a yeah. fellow. Yeah, she met a fellow in, uh, I believe it was in London. He lived in uh, Vancouver, and uh, he disappeared. He went into the mountains uh, to hunt, I believe, or to hike, and uh, they never found his body. Wow. They had they had only been married thirteen months. She'd been married three times. This one that we're talking about. And uh, the first marriage, which I think was about a 15-year marriage, and maybe a little bit less, 12 or 13. And she had a marriage that was annulled, so it was either two or three, depending on whether you count the annulled marriage. Right, right, right. And, uh, and so then in 75 was when you two met. 76. 76? Yes. Okay. And yeah. so, so Lenny, did you and, and Merlin think about getting married, or what? It just wasn't necessary. It wasn't necessary, but uh, at one point I did ask her. After quite a long time that we were together, and she just said that it wasn't necessary, that she was very happy with the situation as it was, which was fine with me also. I just felt like I should do the right thing, so to speak, uh, you know. Right, uh-huh. And, but it turned out that uh, she just didn't feel like she, we should do it. But, yeah. Uh, I have a you line were together in my over book. 30 years. 34 years. I have a line in my book, as far as I was concerned, Merlin and I were married, and the goddess was our best man. 
and you said she had two daughters. She has two daughters. Uh, one lives in Paris, and the other one, uh, Cynthia, lives in Paris, and Jenny lives in California. I just and spoke to have them, they followed in their mother's footsteps at all? No, not at all. Not at all. Which is very interesting to understand Merlin. You would think that she would preach to her daughters or to talk to her daughters about how important the goddess was and so forth. But, you know, she wasn't really... She Neither of them... Uh, well, Cynthia is more, I believe, like an atheist. And uh, Jenny's father was Jewish, so Jenny had two boys. They were both bar mitzvahs. So they neither of them are really believers in the goddess, but they are in b- believers in Merlin, of course. So did the, did do they know the impression? Uh, well, not just the impression, but the impact their mothers had on the world. Yes, most definitely. You know, uh, for sure, they 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 were aware of what was happening, but they themselves didn't. Uh, yeah, it wasn't believers. really for them. It wasn't for neither of them. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Well, uh, so her, so she had this incredibly full life, and you said, um, but and and she wrote this poem, which it's right. almost as if she could she prophesy you know she prophesied it. Uh, she prophesied, no question. Which I always thought she could tell the future. It seemed to me, you know, it's difficult to explain, but. I think because she was so knowledgeable about years past, she was also knowledgeable about the future, but way in the future, thousands of years in the future, the same way she was sort of living, you know, thousands of years in the past, uh, she just seemed to have some sort of, information that other people didn't have and it really makes perfect sense to me because she was in communication with a, with a with with some sort of spirit some sort of energy that other people just weren't in contact with so and Lenny, what was your what was your everyday life like with her? I mean, did she go to did she go to work and teach school? Did she, was no, she, she always out giving talks? Wait, wait. When she was out giving talks a lot, when she first moved in, the, the the front room was empty, but we quickly furnished it for what she needed, and I actually bought her uh, the technology of the time. I think it was an Apple II, a Mac, or something like that. And she wrote uh, Ancient Mirrors of Womanhood in the first two years that uh, we were together. Uh, so she was actually very busy in those uh, first two years, and she was an extremely hard worker, and she stuck to her schedule. She had a certain time she would get up, and she would uh, mostly she would go to a little coffee shop uh, uh, to have breakfast or uh, have her uh, meet a friend or two, and then she would come home and she would. Uh, have the same routine day after day, writing uh, ancient mirrors of womanhood. And at the same time, she was doing her uh, workshops and lectures because uh, when God was a woman was really taking off, and she was being asked to go to women's bookstores and, you know, women's studies courses and different uh, conferences and so forth. So... 
we had a we we had a routine uh, that evolved over time, and then uh, after believe it or not, after about seventeen years of us being together, I actually just wanted to spend most of my time with Merlin. She was sort of slowing down uh, around that time. I think in '94 she would have been 63, and. I changed my lifestyle essentially so I could spend uh, uh, most of my time with Merlin because that's what we both seemed like we wanted to do. So, mm-hmm. also very interestingly, when she moved in, I didn't have a kitchen. I, I had a uh, two-room apartment and I had a, a, a stove and a refrigerator, but it was sort of out in an, uh, in an alcove. You couldn't cook because there was no sink. You mm-hmm. know, it was like an odd thing. So. We ate all of our meals together, and we ate them all out. Merlin uh, really never cooked a meal. And also, she lived there for 30 years, and we never had anybody to come in to clean clean the apartment. Not she even was once. a rather unconventional woman, to say the least. Absolutely, but fit in perfectly into what uh, I was looking for or what made me comfortable and happy. So right, it didn't, right. You know, it didn't didn't seem unusual to me. Well, yeah, I I can just imagine, you know, she would not have been, uh, you know, the type of woman probably to make your typical guy happy, you know, the kind who wants a meal on the table and, you know, the underwear picked up. Right, I think that's why she left her first husband, uh, because he wanted, Merlin was already a pretty accomplished artist and sculptor at the time while they were living together. He actually called it her hobby. Because he wanted her to be, yeah, because typical 50s, 60s, that he wanted her to just to be taking care of the children and doing Mm -hmm. the cooking. And when he came home that, you know, the meal would be prepared and, you know, more or less uh, the conventional uh, wife and so forth. uh, Well, good, so good that she had the the courage and... um, and in, in inner strength to, to be able to, you know, disregard that conformity, you know? Yeah, she actually said he made a feminist of me because, you know, she felt like she had to be free to become herself. And he wasn't, yeah. you know, it was more like he wanted her to be other than what she was. And I guess that led to the divorce. Right. And but, then on uh, the other hand, you allowed her that freedom um, and, yeah, you know, I, I, it was interesting. Not only I, I allowed her the freedom because I had no idea what she was doing. You know, <laughs> it, 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 it's fascinating because about two or three months after we were living together, uh, when God was a woman came out in the United States. So, of course, she gave me the book to read. And when I tried to read it, I was telling him, oh, I can't read this. I don't understand it. I, I, you know, it's. It's not adding up. It doesn't make any sense. That's when she said, okay, well, just read Chapter 10, because Chapter 10 is unraveling the myth of Adam and Eve. So uh-huh. when I did read Chapter 10, it did make a lot more sense to me, and right. that's why I'm very happy that Chapter 10, Unraveling the Myth of Adam and Eve, is now in the new book, Merlin Stone Remembered. Yeah, it's a great so chapter. We, yeah, Random um, House owned it, and you know we had to pay them a little amount to get it in there. Not so little, but I'm happy that it's in there. Yeah, yes, it's it's, it, it's really pivotal because you know when you understand that, it sort of 
makes so much else make sense, you know? It's, it's amazing, yeah, because Marone said the the creation myth is, 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 is you know, destroyed women's uh, vision of themselves. Yes. You know, it, it took away their own identity and sort of made them the victims, you know, Eve, uh, you know, the temptress and... Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, even crazy them. things... Even even crazy things like women deserve to suffer in child uh, childbirth. Exactly, and exactly. That's uh, you know that's part of the uh, creation myth, and uh, they're getting they were getting punished, uh, you know. For, right. Uh, well, well, why don't why don't you things. go ahead and read her her poem for when I pass okay. on? She wrote okay, this in 1985, you. I believe. That's 1985. She died in uh, 2011. So she wrote the poem 26 years, I guess, uh, before she died, which is very interesting that a person would write a poem about their um, mortality and uh, that they're going to pass on. But it really reveals Merlin. It's very, very interesting. So I hope your readers enjoy, I hope your listeners enjoy it. She wrote it in 1985 for when I pass on. Don't grieve over me. I did what I wanted to do. Followed my excitement, my thoughts and desires. Lived as I wanted to. Rejected traditions and rules. Neither a media nor a dud. I let my love flow. My furies explode, smashing icons and celebrity, appearing and withdrawing as the mood suited me. Don't grieve over me. I have never felt regret, and even in times of despair, a candle of hope remained lit. I relished intensity and integrity. Truth with gentle diplomacy. Compassion with demands that potential be fulfilled. I thought rude questions, smashed superficiality and pretense, laughed at established lies, decided that most people were afraid to live. Don't grieve over me. I was blessed with a full measure of the juices of conscious life. Mm, there are wow. a couple of lines in here that are, that really mean a lot to me. First, she said, neither a media nor a dud. That's very interesting, I think, because that's the way she looked at herself. She was nothing special, and, you know, she just was doing her thing. Yeah. And also where she said, uh, demands that potential be fulfilled. She fulfilled my potential, Everything that I ever wanted to become was was because of Merlin. It wasn't that she demanded it. It was more like I absorbed what she was doing and saying and encouraging. Everything that I wanted to become, I did become, and I do uh, credit Merlin for uh, exactly what happened in my life, and it's still happening right now. And In fact, I feel the same way that Merlin felt. I feel that I'm being guided and that uh, she's still around somehow and she's passing she's passing on 
this information that she wants me to do. The entire book, which has taken the last three years uh, to complete and write, has just been a journey that uh, I feel like, you know, the goddess wants it to happen, and that's why it's happening. Yeah. Well, in the contents, I have the contents here. Um, mm-hmm. um, you have Merlin Stone timeline. Uh, you have, um, uh, well, I'll just start at the top. You have uh, okay. a preface by Carol Thomas, editor's right. note by David Axelrod. Yeah, just to interrupt um, you for a second. David David is a very uh, accomplished uh, writer. She, he has a lot of background in the publishing world and the literary world. So he actually uh, edited the the entire book and was responsible uh, even for most of the writing. Even my uh, memoir is really, uh, I told it to him and Carol, and they tried to preserve my own uh, language and instinct and my voice and my, you know, so, but that's not easy to do. No, uh, no, it's not. Both of them uh, did... uh, uh, do that, and so like I say, my my memoir is only 60 pages of what has become a 384-page book. Well, there it looks so, like there's some great stuff in here. There's stuff that yeah. hasn't been published yet. Uh, right. You know, it, stuff stuff that people haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Um, David writes on a reflection on the poetic genius of Merlin Stone. Yes, from, that's a wonderful chapter. Yeah, um, you have her her article, 3,000 Years of Racism, um, you know, recurring patterns uh, in racism. Mm -hmm. Uh, Her unpublished writing. was very conscious of uh, sexism and racism being essentially uh, different sides of the same coin. Yeah, well, I mean, we see what President Obama has gone through, and no doubt Mm -hmm. I think the other side of that ugliness is going to come out when Hillary starts running for president. Um, Yeah, I hope she makes it, though. Uh, That would be wonderful. And then there's some unpublished writings by Merlin, uh, Inner Voice, um, Intuition, Mm -hmm. The Global Garden. That's a a wonderful uh, article. Intuition is... uh, is a lecture and a, a that she was going to give at a university in California, and as she was writing the uh, article, she gets interrupted by the goddess, and she gets into a long, long conversation of maybe 20 pages, where she's talking to the goddess, who is telling her that she should change the lecture that she's going to give in California, and inform them about. Uh, what the goddess wants her to tell the people uh, that she's going to speak to as opposed to what she was going to speak to. Wow. That's an interesting... uh, I can't wait to read that. Um, And Mm. then she's got Women in Armed Combat. Right. Very interesting article. One Summer on the Way to Utopia or Dreams Getting There. Right. That's Um, interesting. Merlin wrote a novel. That's from a novel. There's like a 400-page novel that... uh, it's unpublished, and there's excerpts uh, from her unpublished novel that uh, Dave uh, wrote about. Now, this piece here that David wrote, I Want to Love Your Wife, what is that? That's a poem. Uh, let me see if I have it in front of That's me. That's uh, uh, right in the very beginning, after the um, preface and editor's note. Yes. It's a poem. 
I can't find it in a moment if you want. And, uh, oh, that's okay. It's a very um, good poem. I'd like to read it because... Uh, See if I can find it quickly. I'm sure I can. Uh, there's something here by Cynthia Stone Davis. Is that her daughter? Yeah, that's her daughter. It's Remembrance of Merlin, and it m- mostly talks about uh, Merlin when she was an artist, and uh, Cynthia was only about uh, 10 years old, I believe, when they got divorced. So she remembers Merlin as a artist, and there are quite a few pictures of uh, Merlin and Cynthia and Jenny together. It's a, it's a it's a nice chapter. Yeah, and there's a gallery of photos and artifacts, um, mm-hmm. letters to Merlin, a great sense of hope. Probably what people wrote her after reading her book, I would imagine. Um, lots of great stuff in this book, uh, Merlin Stone Remembered. And while you're looking for that, Winnie, I'll uh, I'll read some of the, some of the endorsements that the book has got. Uh, Praise for Merlin Stone Remembered from Miriam Robbins Dexter, Ph.D., a beautiful work of love celebrating the life of Merlin Stone, a delight to read. Um, mm-hmm. From Gloria Orenstein, uh, Professor Emerita, Comparative Literature and Gender Studies at University of Southern California, she says. Yeah, this Gloria book, is a, knows is, wrote the reflowering of the goddess, and she also uh, initiated the women's studies program. I think it was at Southern Southern Cal. Uh, she said, this book is paradigm-shifting. It should be read by all those who yearn for miracles, as well as mm. by those who still need proof to believe that they are possible. Right. Um, Vicki yeah. Noble what? says, touch me to the core. The book is both humble and powerful, a peek into the mysterious private world of this iconic feminist woman who changed history. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of Z Budapest uh, uh uh, Barbara Walker, Starhawk, they all are endorsers uh, of these Yeah, there's of lots book. of great uh, lots of great endorsements here. Uh, were you yes. able to find the, the poem? Yeah, I have it here. Can I read it? Sure, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it says, it, the title is I Want to Love Your Wife. It's for women, and Dave wrote, uh, For Women's Studies Pioneer Merlin Stone, author of When God Was a Woman. I never met her. But I want to love her, at least a little, for you, my new friend. We're her friend, her fan, her worshiper, married to her sorry, for 34 years, before illness first weakened her, rendered her mute, then stole her from you. When I search her name... Four million links appear. She was famous, gorgeous, brilliant, which you can prove to me with clippings and albums, books she wrote, even her resonant voice responding to an interviewer on CD. I have to love your wife, or we can't be friends. Not that you've compelled me, not that you've aimed some figurative gun, But in fact, her studies of goddesses are what I might read for fun. And also, when I learned to love your wife, 
it will teach that male chauvinist bastard death that he can't win. <laughs> I like mm. that poem. I like that. So yeah. um, I, I guess, um, Lenny, we, we have to talk about her passing. Um, what, how, what was her illness and how, did, how <laughs> was the end? It last well, she had a disease uh, called pseudobulba palsy. It's a neurological disease. It's not an Alzheimer's type, but it is a neurological disease. And after she was diagnosed with it, she lived about three years. And in the first year that uh, she had been diagnosed, we still could do things like. She had had some accidents, and she needed uh, a wheelchair or or, uh, a walker, and we could still go out, you know, take rides, you know, eat meals out, uh, you know, just uh, hang out, do different things. So the first year of the three years was not normal, but uh, it wasn't too different than what we had been living. But the last two years, basically, she was bedridden, and I had hired uh, two nurses to help take care of her. They worked uh, alternate days, and they worked like nine or ten hours a day, and uh, basically, I took care of her the rest of the time. But uh, the nurses, both nurses were very kind, and they took very good care of her, and she could understand. I mean... She could. She, after a while, she lost her ability to speak. But even after she lost her ability to speak, she could still understand. You know, I I, I could ask her things, and we I bought her a uh, like a chalkboard, and I would write things on the chalkboard, and she would point to them, and I would know what she needed, things like that. So it wasn't like she was lost in this, uh, you know, uh, Alzheimer's type of uh, dementia. Right. So it was at least she was able to understand, and uh, but she did lose her voice, which the neurological doctor said, and he said there was no known known cure, and there was no known known cause when they found out what it was, and that I should just take her home and try to make her as comfortable as possible. Well, well what so, were the symptoms that she knew something was wrong? She was falling a lot. Oh, okay. And we went to a a doctor. She had fallen quite a bit. In New York, she had fallen, and she had broken her shoulder and her arm. She broke her hip. Then when we moved to Florida, she fell two more times, and she broke her knee, and she broke her pelvis. Oh, poor baby. Yeah, we went to, you know, the doctor, uh, and... The doctor thought, just a general practitioner said that she thought that there was more going on and that we should see a neurologist. And, and that, yeah. was, that was the beginning of uh, how they diagnosed uh, what was what was happening. She, they, you know, they gave the brain scans and right, uh, right. And how old how old was she at the end? She died when she was seventy nine. So she she had a lot of years here on Earth. She did have a lot of years, and she made the best of them. That's even more important. 
she really yeah, and she, uh, she she like she said in her poem that uh, she accomplished everything that she wanted to accomplish in this life and i, I and she spent that almost that half true. of that life with you when you think about it you yes, know when we spent 34 years and uh, 5 months uh, together so lenny with how you. is what is life like for you now <sighs> that's a good question you know, the only thing, honestly, that's kept me alive these last uh, years after she died is that soon afterwards, uh, maybe not so soon, but months afterwards, uh, the idea of writing a book uh, was suggested by Carol, and then when I spoke to Dave, I found out that he had all these uh, creative writing talents, and he decided to uh, try and write it. He was very uh, proficient, and we had a wonderful time writing it. But what I'm trying to get to is that it is the, 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 the last three years I've been kept alive writing the book. Yeah. You know, I think I think about it all the time. I uh, try to improve on it. I have found the right people, that, uh, including Dave and Carol. I also found a wonderful woman who I call my assistant, but she's much more than that. And uh, she she essentially is making the book happen. She's overseeing the website. She's overseeing the social media person that I hired to. Uh, you know, Wait, are we talking about Linda? Technology. Yes. And uh, it seems like Merlin always said that what she needed seemed to suddenly show up. You know, and uh, I think and that, that seems that, like that's how and, it's happened for you. That, that seems like it's happening for me also. And, you know, I thank the goddess because, uh, I, you know, I don't know what 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 I would, you know, how I would cope if it wasn't for, uh, you know, the writing and uh, this book. And I love to gamble and I love adventures and I love mysteries and all those things are happening at the same time because, you know, nobody knows the end result of what we're doing. Right. And, well, I, I feel pretty confident that this book is going to be a success. And Thank you so um, much. Uh, and, 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 you know, and I think you can feel that, you know, um, those of us who love Merlin love you by extension because you gave her you, so sir. much That's pleasure. That's very kind. Yes. But there and, were a lot you know, of things in Merlin Stone remembered that people who even knew her, are going to be, you know, surprised, uh, you know, the sculpture and uh, all kinds of other things that... Uh, yeah, I know, you know I, I myself, you know, I only knew her as the writer of Goddess books. I, I'm looking exactly. forward to seeing all so her other talents. The book talent. is 384 pages and uh, really encompasses a lot of things uh, that happened in Merlin's life. Uh, you know, like I say, not only the memoir, My Life with Merlin, but... You know, just uh, the things that Cynthia wrote about her, that uh, Gloria right. wrote about her, that other, that Carol wrote about her. Right. It's really, right. Uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm confident that uh, we're going to do well. I've gotten a lot of feedback from the right sources, including Llewellyn, who loves the book. Good, good. So, you know. Well, well, Lenny, we're uh, probably getting ready to uh, wrap up our conversation. Is there anything you wanted to share with listeners maybe I haven't thought to ask? Let me see if there's anything here I would like to say. 
Well, in in a recent review, in a recent uh, review of uh, Merlin Stone, remembered the reviewer said that the book accurately conveys the sense that Merlin Stone was not easily categorized, mm-hmm. and I think that that that's very interesting. That you know we tend to stereotype people or put them in some sort of a box, but Merlin was uh, much different than. Uh, people uh, think of her, and I don't know what to say. I just well, she feel was like definitely a, a woman ahead of her time. For you know? sure. And, and uh, you know, I, I talk all the time about we women have to take our pink-handled machetes and blaze a trail. Well, Merlin <laughs> certainly did that. I she thank you for that. that. And also, I, I like to say that, uh, and I don't mean to diminish anybody else's love or uh, relationship, but I like to say I won the human lottery. I won the human lottery, you know. And, uh, in, in, in having her uh, to spend your life with. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, that, uh, that's a beautiful thing to say, there's, Lenny. There's also, yeah, th- there's also a good story about uh, how Merlin taught me things in the beginning, and uh, it's in the book, but we were playing a Scrabble game, and uh, she... she, she Change the uh, idea of winning in the Scrabble game to just having fun. And at uh-huh. the end of the game, I asked her, you know, Merlin, what was that about? We, uh, you know, we played so funny. And she said there would be no competition, no game playing, no aggression, no keeping score, no winners or losers in our life, only cooperation. There you that's go. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Well, you know, that's you know? that's the goddess ideal, and she was she was living it. Yeah, and she was she expressed. She was you. living it, and she taught it to me. And uh, because of that, I've been transformed, and uh, I couldn't be happier about it. Now we just have to transform so, the world, Lenny. <laughs> exactly, it's and, happening. It is happening. It's just you know, it's something like Merlin said. You know, there's change happening, like mountains are moving. You mm-hmm. can't see them move, but they are moving. And I feel that that's happening in, uh, you know, the transformation uh, slowly, that we're going, to, we're going in the direction that we want to go. But it's very difficult to see right now because we've made such small increments, yeah. you know, small indentations in what we need to do. But I feel that it is happening, though it may take hundreds, perhaps even thousands of years. But I do have the faith that we are going to get there, and uh, someday we'll be uh, much different. Uh, she said it best. We're better than the wars and the fighting. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, I, and I think it's going to be more. I think it'll happen before thousands of years. Maybe, yeah. maybe just a few more generations. And I, I hope I so. Think that would be I, very nice. Yeah. Well, Lenny, nice. it has it has really been a pleasure uh, to it's have you on the pleasure, show. It's been my pleasure, Karen, and thank you so much for inviting me to talk about Merlin and to ba- talk about Merlin Stone Remembered. And it'll, the book will be out sometime around Thanksgiving. And, and I uh, hope just that to mention the website again, it's Merlin Stone yes. Remembered? No, it's www.merlinstone.org. Okay, merlinstone.org. Merlinstone.org, yeah. And there you can find that information. Do go and order the book from merlinstone.org. Only go to Amazon Mm. if you absolutely have to. 
It's just, yes, you know, that way we the proceeds to... go, you know, don't all go to Amazon. They go to right, Rolling exactly. Stone. Also, we, we offer a uh, three sign. All three authors will sign the book for you if you want that copy, and we will make a salutation uh, to you also. Which uh, ab- much, much better. Much, much, much better. Much better, of course. I think that mo- most people would would prefer that. Yes, absolutely. And it's, it's not any extra than it would be if you bought it in your store. Right. Well, listeners, so. do stay with me. I'm going to be reading some Merlin Stone things after the break. Um, so mm. the show isn't over yet. Uh, stay right here with me. And, and Lenny, please keep in touch. And if there's ever anything I can do for you, um, if okay. you want to come, you know, uh, please don't hesitate to get in touch. Okay. Thank you so much for this evening. It's been my pleasure. Oh, you're, it, it really, it has been my pleasure. Thank you so much okay. for, Thank for you, what you're Karen. doing to bring Merlin's uh, work back to all of us, uh, refresh I, it all is our important. memories. I, I think it is very, very important, uh, you know, that uh, people remember what she did. And new, new generations, I'm hoping, of women who really were not familiar with her will become familiar with her, and therefore they will grow themselves. Absolutely. become their exactly own right. Yeah. Exactly right. Thank you, Lenny. Yeah. Good night and the best of okay, luck uh, for your wonderful good night book. To you. Okay. All right. Good night again. Bye bye. Good night. Bye bye. And a word from Joe Carson. The psychic state is the collective unconscious, which is that consciousness of the planet. It's called the chthonic mind, the mind of the earth. Our ancestors understood that the animal and divine were all connected, they were together, but there wasn't a separation. That's what we are trying to return to, is that sense that our animal nature is divine. It doesn't get in the way of the divine. It gets us closer to it. What's your idea of being fully alive as a human being? Because that's what's really spiritual. Write it down. Start writing your own Bible if you want. And by that, I just mean sweaty, fun, happy sex. Well, that was an excerpt um, from uh, Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia. Dancing with Gaia explores the connection between Earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the goddess as Gaia. It features 15 visionaries who give us tools to feel the life of the planet within ourselves. The DVD comes with a 45-page mini-book, and both cost just $20. You can get your own copy at dancingwithgaia.com. And you know, the holidays are upon us. Look for the Merlin Stone book. Look for Dancing with Gaia. And, of course, please order one of my books and order it from me. It's, that's the best way to do it unless you're out of the United States. Um, uh, the second best is uh, order it from your local bookstore. Uh, either of those is better than going to Amazon. But if you're tight for cash, Amazon it is. You know, they do take 70% of profits from authors, uh, leaving authors and publishers to take their portion of the remaining meager 
uh, 30%. Um, I bet you didn't know they gouge authors uh, so badly. Uh, but uh, if you'd like to support my work in this show, uh, you can do one or more of several things. Uh, go to my website, karentate.com. You can make a donation of any amount using the button all the way down at the bottom on the Goddess Store page. Um, or you can... Um, get the book uh you can get the book directly from me there uh it, as long as you're in the United States because I can't uh, mail a book internationally it just uh it, it would cost you and me uh too much but the new book Voices of the Sacred Feminine which uh is the anthology of my wonderful radio show guests uh like Charlene Spretnak, Barbara Walker, um Noam Chomsky, Laura Flanders, Gloria Felt of Planned Parenthood, Rianne Eisler, Jean Shinoda Bowen, Phyllis Chesler, Father Roy Bourgeois, Matthew Fox, um, all of these great names, just just to name a few. Uh, they're all in the anthology and their essays. They take uh, the interview that we did here on the show to the next level. So it complements what you can hear uh, from them in the archive. So please uh, check it out. Um, I wanted to share that I'm just back from a weekend at the Fellowship of Isis Convocation in Geyserville, California, which is just north of Santa Rosa. Um, and it, it, the Isis Oasis Temple and Sanctuary is there. I just posted a lot of pictures on my Facebook page if you'd like to go take a look. It was a wonderful weekend of storytelling, ritual. And there was a memorial for Reverend Lorian Vignet, the founder of Isis Oasis. I was fortunate enough to be invited to be the keynote speaker, talking about the importance of goddess mythology for ideals that create a more sustainable future. And uh, I wrote about Isis Oasis in my first book, Sacred Places of Goddess, 108 Destinations, which you can actually use to drive your own goddess pilgrimage here in the United States and uh, in other countries around the world. But So check out Isis Oasis sometime soon, whether you need a personal retreat, uh, you know, if you'd like to attend their Sunday scroll services, if you're within driving distance, or maybe you have a wedding or an important celebration there, uh, you can do it under the 500-year-old oak tree. And uh, what's coming up for me really soon? Well, um, I'll be exploring the many sacred sites uh, that was once called Anatolia, Land of the Nourishing Mothers. That's in Turkey. I'll be co-leading the tour with some of the for- with uh, one of the foremost American authorities on Artemis of Ephesus, uh, the archaeologist and religion scholar Dr. James Reedfeld. We're taking only about 20 women and men on the journey, so the experience will be very personal as we go to different sacred sites of goddess every day, often where tourists rarely tread, so we have very private time at the sacred sites to absorb the energy and essence of these holy places. And there are many dedicated to goddesses like Cabelli, Isis, Mary, Aphrodite, Artemis, Kubaba, just to name a few. And the Anatolia Museum, well, it's not to be missed, but neither is the sacred shopping, the rituals at the site, experiencing Turkish baths or the whirling dervishes. This will be a journey of a lifetime. And I have to admit, we priced it as bare bones as we possibly could. There's not a lot of money uh, in this trip at all, um, it, it, but it's not cheap. Uh, I know I know that, uh, but it will be well worth it. Uh, the one 
good thing, though, uh, Turkey is not yet on the euro, so once there, your money stretches rather nicely, and the food is terrific. So anyway, let me hear from you. If you think you might want to know more, we'll put you on a list. Um, or keep your eye on my website. I hope to um, uh, get the link to the, the itinerary on there soon. I haven't had a chance to do that yet. Uh, but um, also check my Facebook page. I can more easily update that. And uh, I will keep occasionally posting notices of the uh, – I'll, I'll make it a Facebook event, the trip. And you can go to my uh, Facebook page and uh, get the itinerary and a link uh, to where you can get more information. So, uh, as I promised uh, to read a little bit more of the words of Merlin Stone, uh, there's a few things here I want to share. Uh, first, some short things that are excerpts from talks and articles. Uh, these were selected by Lenny and sent to me by uh, the woman who's helping him, uh, Linda Walker. I thank them both. Uh, from the book, When God Was a Woman, she said, in the beginning, people prayed to the creatrix of life, the mistress of heaven. At the very dawn of religion, God was a woman. Do you remember? And she also said, now it is time to think of the supreme being as both mother and father. It is kind of like having a broken home to think of God exclusively as male or female. Also, the world is entering a new religious era in which all persons will be equal humans. Then, um, another quote, the earliest law, government, medicine, agriculture, architecture, metallurgy, wheeled vehicles, ceramics, textiles, and written language were initially developed in societies that worshipped the goddess. Uh, there is no particular image or name that I connect with her, but it is an inner understanding. She also wrote, Perhaps someday I will feel free enough to tell the entire long, strange story of the years of receiving her guidance that amidst much other knowledge not only told me what to write, but which libraries and museums, which books and journals contain the documented evidence to support this knowledge, at times even the page numbers. I have learned to totally trust the path along which she leads me. Wow, that really gives me goosebumps. Imagine living your life so totally in tuned. Wow. She said, hearing her, seeing her, praying to her, worshiping her, talking to her should be considered normal. And then this is an excerpt from um, When God Was a Woman. A couple paragraphs here. In prehistoric and early historic periods of human development, religions existed in which people revered their supreme creator as female. The great goddess, the divine ancestress, had been worshipped from the beginnings of Neolithic periods of 7000 BC until the closing of the last goddess temples about 500 AD. Some authorities would extend goddess worship as far as into the past of the Upper Paleolithic Age of about 25,000 B.C. Yet events in the Bible, which we are generally taught to think of as taking place in the beginning of time, actually occurred in historic periods. 
Abraham, first prophet of the Hebrew Christian God Yahweh, more familiarly known as Jehovah, is believed by most Bible scholars to have lived no earlier than 1800 B.C. and possibly as late as 1550 B.C. Most significant is the realization that for thousands of years, both religions existed simultaneously among closely neighboring peoples. Archaeological, mythological, and historical evidence all reveal that the female religion, far from naturally fading away, was the victim of centuries of continual persecution and suppression by the advocates of the newer religions which held male deities as supreme. And from these new religions came the creation myth of Adam and Eve and the tale of the loss of paradise. What had life been like for women who lived in a society that venerated a wise and valiant female creator? Why had the members of the latter male religions fought so aggressively to suppress that earlier worship, even the very memory of it? What did the legend of Adam and Eve really signify, and when and why was it written? The answers I discovered have formed the contents of this book, When God Was a Woman, the Story of the Suppression of Women's Rights. Notice it's rights, R-I-T-E-S, not rights, R-I-G-H-T-S. When God Was a Woman, the Story of the Suppression of Women's Rights has been written to explain the historical events and political attitudes that led to the writing of the Judeo-Christian Christian myth of the fall, the loss of paradise, and most importantly, why the blame for that loss was attributed to the woman, Eve. And Linda also sent me this uh, this little piece here. I believe this was uh, something on the Ushas uh, from Ancient Mirrors of Womanhood. Merlin wrote, the name of Ushas and her identification with the dawn occur in the Rig Veda. Her image is definitely of Indo-European origin to be regarded as much the same deity as Eos of Greece and Aurora of Rome. In accordance with most of the female deities of the Vedic writings, she is young, lovely, and somewhat nymph-like. The association of Ushas with the dawn led to references in later texts that call upon Ushas to arrive as the dawn of spiritual awakening. And she writes, Holy Spirit of the morning light, her golden glow rises in the eastern sky as her chariot drawn by seven cinnamon heifers passes through the celestial gates, followed by one hundred golden chariots. Her gauzy veils of many colors, each embroidered with threads of gold, float behind her in the gentle breeze, revealing the smile upon her face. Riding upon her path in the heavens, she arrives as the dawning of the day. Sun before the sun, as old as the time when the sun first rose on the first morning, Usha's is forever young, causing some to wish that she would not arrive each day, for her eternal youth only serves to remind that each time that she appears, the rest of us grow older. Yet those who embrace the joys of knowing many dawns call upon her to bring the light of dawn into the inner night of the mind, asking that she shed her rays of morning light, not only to awaken each body, but to awaken each mind. And that Merlin Stone did. She awakened many a mind. 
this author, this author, this radio show host, this priestess being one of those people. And no doubt with uh, this new book, Merlin Stone Remembered, as Lenny said, Merlin's work will be known to a new generation of men and women. And I like to think in those last couple years, as Merlin was bedridden and couldn't speak, her relationship with Goddess, those voices that she could hear, only became more profound and more interconnected. And she became that much closer to the great she, to the great divine ancestress. Thank you, Merlin Stone. Thank you, Lenny, and thank you to the folks who helped Lenny put this book together. And thanks even to Llewellyn for publishing Merlin Stone Remembered. So look for it, please. Um, As uh, Lenny said, it won't be available on Amazon until uh, the end of uh, November, maybe around Thanksgiving, the beginning of December. But try to go get it, uh, not from Amazon, if you will, but try to get it direct from MerlinStone.com. Well, uh, I think that uh, is we'll probably do it for tonight, dear listeners, and um, in honor of uh, Merlin Stone and the ancient mother that she um, taught so many of us about. I'm going to go back to the song we started out with tonight uh, to start the show, Diva Haley's uh, Narayana, Ancient Mother. So please uh, enjoy the show. Share it with your friends. Uh, please, if you will, help uh, help me keep Voices of the Sacred Feminine on the air with uh, purchase of books uh, or donations to the show. And uh, as always, please let me hear from you. It, you are gas in my tank, as I always say. Hearing that the show means a lot to you, that it makes a difference, well, that helps me do this another week, another month, another year. Good night, have a wonderful week, and stay safe.